This week, we're featuring a new show that has been improving so rapidly, they'll probably win an award by the time I finish this sentence. It's not a Christmas-themed episode, but I think you'll enjoy the show and our interview, and their themes of love, representation, and inclusion. We're talking about Jim Robbie and the Wanderers. This is Radio Drama Revival. Hey folks, welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, David Reinstrom. We're going to play the revised episode one of Jim Robbie and the Wanderers today. It's a show about a band, comprising two humans and a robot, wandering a strangely optimistic post-apocalyptic America. Later, I'll talk with the show's director and producer, Erie Sheremet and Laura Bramblett, to talk about what motivated them to redo episode one, and what they've learned from being part of the broader audio drama community. I'm very much motivated by the growth mindset when creators or anyone say, you know what? We have the capacity to do this better. What I hear in Jim Robbie and the Wanderers is a big, ambitious, questing spirit. I hear really inventive world-building and fun character design, and I hear the fastest-learning creative team in fiction podcasting. It's like I can hear the bones of this show stretching. It's the future, and everything's broken and different, but somehow it doesn't suck Jim Robbie and the Wanderers is that rare post-apocalypse show that has an emphasis on cooperation and self-discovery, even if Jim can be a prick sometimes. There's hope, there's magic, and if you stick with the show, there's also giant bees and werebears. The creative team behind Jim Robbie and the Wanderers redid their episode one, so let's get cracking. Sit back and enjoy episode one of Jim Robbie and the Wanderers, ZNYPD. America after the apocalypse. A wilderness plagued with fashion-forward seagulls and the howling of ghosts that are complaining that there just isn't any good music anymore. And who will tell their stories? Why, Tango, Charlie, and Jim Robbie, our musical wanderers wandering the wilderness. Last we saw our confident heroes, these amazing, skillful adventurers. Ah, who are we getting? They're lost. Lost in Manhattan? And those of unspecified gender, may I present Jim Robbie and the Wanderers. Of all our deranged ideas, well, this isn't our worst, but it isn't our brightest either, Tango. New York hasn't been safe since the mutations, before or after the dark. As long as we keep quiet, they won't find us. Come on, Charlie, through here! Tango? Tango! My pant leg is caught on the fence! Shh! Stop struggling! They'll find us! Can't we leave her behind? Clothing is a construct of human society, and they're as tacky as Charlie. Can it, Jim? Charlie, just use your eyes! I can't see in the dark! While we wait for a zombie to gnaw off Charlie's leg, can you at least throw me over the fence? I'll be out of harm's way, and you can play dead! shush! Charlie, just pull harder! No, the other way! What do you mean, the other way? I'm pulling! Can you just... Oh no, not you two again. I was hoping the rumors through the Moaning Vine were true. Looks like Lady Luck isn't on anyone's side tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Evening, Officer Box. Jim, Charlie, Tango, any reason I'm leaving the human burrow tonight? Last I checked, no humans were exempt from curfew. Oh, are we in Manhattan? I... I knew something was up! See, Charlie, I told you this wasn't the right fence. Don't you throw me overboard here. And can you stop shining that light in my eyes? Listen, Officer Box, I was just telling them about the town, seeing the sights, and all that jazz. This isn't the way to the dump. Try the Bronx. You would know, since you crawled out the... Can't you just let us through this once? We're not even locals. You're going to blind me with that stupid outmoded flash. 
Sweet socket and motor oil. Get that light out of my face! You know I can't let humans out of Manhattan. It's protection for all humans, and the law states... Yes, you can! We haven't signed the contract to live in this city, so we're not under your protection law. We're gonna have our bodies munched on when we kick the bucket. You can't tell us where or where we can't Shut go! Shut up! I'm not filling a report out on you two again. Just... Yeah. How about this? If you three do a favor for me, I'll pretend I never saw you. Okay? What kind of favor? Just go to a party. Go there and stay there until I get back up. You want us to play a party? No. Well, yes, I... I just... There. As of right now, you are temporary undercover agents of the ZNYPD. Agents? Oh, like badges and busting bad guys? The whole six strings? Uh-huh, sure. Still waiting on those details here. The attendees are not the type you want to get mixed up with. Illicit drugs, mutation testing, and other criminal activities. I need you three to investigate. Just stay at the party, mingle, and get on their good side, and listen in. I'll be there shortly with backup, just in case. Yeah, can't do that with my leg caught up on a rusty fence. Oh, yeah, um, here, let me just um... Great, now we have half a pant leg to add to our pack. Did you really have to tear it that bad? But now your leg is free. Just like how we're fighting for the freedom of justice! What do you say, Charlie? Jim? Not like we can do much else, carrying a weight that can't see in the dark. You're a weight that can't even walk. Fine. As long as you hold up your end of the deal box. Got that? I'll keep that in mind. I hate when they do that. He's probably talking shit about us. I can feel the migraine from that stupid flashlight, and I still can't see. If those zombies are so technologically advanced, how come they don't even have streetlights? Do we even know where we're going? I think he doodled it here. There's a lot more on one of these pieces of paper than on the other. Tango, you... you can't read. Great work tonight. We are making so much progress. I'd clap it out if I could. Do you need help moving your spoon arms? Of course I need help. How about you throw me in the nearest dumpster? If only. Hey, do you guys hear that? It sounds like there's something going on over there. Is this it? Should we knock? Sounds like the party started without us. Well, it's a good thing we're here. I've been dying to try out this ukulele. Oh, right. Undercover cops don't whisper investigating under their breath. And no one's going to hear your out-of-tune strings over a bunch of grody, groaning zombies anyways. Can't we just say we got lost and leave? Or we could throw you at Officer Box if he catches us and make a run for it. Because you would get so far tripping and get caught in another fence. You'll end up in that Bronx place since you gravitate towards trash. Delilah, I've got my hands full. Can you get the door? Last I checked, you were the one filled with rubbish and horrid taste. The only station you've ever even played had Metal Polka. Hey, Metal Polka, I'll have you know, is fun to dance to. Uh, can I help you? Oh, oh, um, right. <laughs> I know we heard uh, that there was this party and... We're here to kick the tunes up to 12. It sounds like you need some metal polka. Oh, oh, oh my goodness, you're humans. Yeah, wait, but aren't you a human? I didn't think we'd actually get more than our usual group. Hey, Marlo, we got more. Marlo! You know, I'm still not sure about this whole thing. I think leaving Manhattan is better than being appetizers. You need to lighten up. We're minstrels with undercover cop badges. What could be better cover than that? Anything 
mind. Oh, shush. You could at least pretend to be happy. I've never seen them before at our meetings. Are they already in costume? Of course not. They're humans. But what are humans doing out after dark? Do a lot of humans do that? Should we call the police? Do you think they're onto us? I mean, we just walked through the door, but maybe they know. We were supposed to burn the bridge after we crossed it. Not while we're on it, Tango. Hey, I'm Marlo. Let's see what we got. Wait. Oh, wicked, you're both humans. No cloudy eyes or muscle atrophy. Come on, I can help you get into your roles. So, since you're already humans, you'll probably want to be zombies. I mean, you could be humans if you wanted, but it kind of kills the immersion aspect, you know? So... Uh, what are you doing at this party? I mean, uh, uh, he looks like a zombie. Is he? Of course he's not a zombie. He doesn't have that weird register of moaning when zombies talk. It always has this weird staticky sound. It looks like a zombie, not a zombie. Dang, even the little red radio saw through that. Gotta figure that out still. Well, since the radio saw through me, you get to go first. So, what do you want to be? Hmm, dead. Zombie it is. Wait, hang on. So you're not a zombie. Did any of them put you up to it? Are you blending in to also pretend- It's a live action roleplay night. Are you kidding me? Nope. Tonight, all the zombies have blood pumping through their hearts and the humans shamble through the streets. Still need to figure out how to get the moaning down, apparently. But my makeup work is top-notch, if I do say so myself. You do realize I'm a radio. Nothing that can really get mutated here. Can't melted wires count as, like, maybe sunra- Charlie, what's it called again? Solar radishing. Yeah, that's it! Well, if you're all going to be zombies, you should all look the part. Starting with... you. Hey, let go! I said- Ow, 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 okay, okay, fine. But if someone bites me, I'm going to rip off their arm and slap them with it. Take her and Charlie! Just turn her into the creepiest thing you can think of! Not helping. Hmm, maybe someone around here can give us the zombie makeover too, with some space to punch out some songs. Hey, Tango, right? Um, so... This party's wicked, right? So many zombies. Can you teach me to, um, hook up my coffee machine? What? How do you hook up a coffee machine? A lot of smooth talking and fear of having your wires fried with hot water. Oh, that's not... Um, okay. How about we hit the snack bar? There's all sorts of stuff. Sandwiches with... Uh, bird meat? Uh, I mean, yeah, turkey is great. Yum. Food? Free food. Wait, is it kosher? Ko uh, yeah, I guess so. Where's the snack bar? Oh man, Charlie, you make a good looking zombie. The makeup is cool! I didn't even recognize you when you walked through the door. My face feels ten pounds heavier, and I can't feel anything other than it. <laughs> At least your looks match your personality now. Go to the scrapyard and let me drown in my happy place. Gears and wires? I'm thinking an unrested V8 engine. <sighs> what in the world are we even doing here? Investigating? Investigating what? A bunch of nerdy zombies and wannabe zombies playing pretend? Something doesn't feel right about our favor with Box. I don't like this. Box? What about police officer Box? Are, are you okay there? Yeah, everything's... Box, it's fine. You're going to mess up your makeup with how much you touch your face when you lie. So what's really going on around here? Someone has got to be dealing something out that makes you think this fake zombie stuff is cool. Cause this is not. This is uncomfortable lukewarm. Dealing out? What do you mean? Okay Jim, shut up. Tango, don't confuse him. And you. 
What's up with Officer Box? I shouldn't. Honestly, I think you should. There's been a lot of attacks against humans. Just... Something's up with the Force. They've been getting warrants to check a lot of houses, assaults, and disappearances. But isn't that normal around here? Not when they're all humans leaving in body bags for food distribution. They're killing humans? They can't do that! There are laws in place to protect humans who live in Manhattan! Right? Zombies wrote the rules, and they're the ones who wrote the loopholes. So, all this roleplay stuff. The best place to hide is in plain sight. Just under a lot of makeup. What about the other zombies? Do they know anything about this stuff? What about the... Is it a training thing? They don't have to hide? No, they think it's fun. Something about living in the past and stuff. They don't know what's going on. Maybe Delilah knows a bit, but none of them really care. They don't know anything about Manhattan, just that humans live there and whatever stuff they find from past humans. You should really get around to practicing too if you're sticking around. I should have known something was up. Hold machines, we walked right into his bony hands. We should probably get out of here before we're caught in the crossfire. We can't just leave these zombies and humans. If it's going to be a bloodbath, it's not just humans who are going to get shot. There's gotta be a way! What choice do we actually have, Tango? If we're caught in here by the police, we're dead. If they find out we were working with the police, we're dead. It would be better if we just disappeared. It's still night! You can't see in the dark, and we'll just get caught again, this time shoved in the human burrow, and Marlo said that's where the attacks were happening. Besides, these are innocent people just having fun. We can't just sit here and do nothing. I can. Jim, this is serious. We have to tell someone. We have to warn them. Now. Marlo? Marlo, there you are. We need your help. I'll say. Looks like some of your contouring got all smudged up. Forget the con... Ugh, whatever. We've got bigger problems. The cops are on their way and they're going to raid this party. What? How? This isn't the human burrow. The phrasing humans are totally invited, the more the better, should not have been put on the poster. So how are you zombies enjoying the party? We're setting up the connect the power lines game right now. Zombies versus humans style. This isn't the time for games. Your party's about to get busted by the cops. The police. How? Are we being too loud or something? You guys haven't started playing yet, so it can't be the music. It's a real mystery, huh? Uh, but but it's just a curfew. I mean, it's not that serious. Humans are fine as long as they're kept in a facility of some kind, right? I thought... No, no, I can't get another fine. I'll lose this place. Forget whatever fine you'd get. Money doesn't replace people. If the authorities get here and see humans, us and Marlo are going to go down someone's gullet. I should be the one worrying. If you guys get shot, I'm going to have to find someone else to carry me around, and you two are the only ones I can tolerate. Now's not the time for a group hug, Jim. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no, this is awful. We have to get everyone out of here. Delilah, we can't just run into the streets. If they show up, they'll see everyone running around and open fire. We have to think this through with our heads. Oh, I should have known this was a bad idea. Ever since we started this roleplay stuff, we're gonna die again. You'll be dead for good, and my home will be torn apart. I can't do that. I can't lose everything again. I just can't. Oh... Oh! Hang on! That's a radio! How well do those speakers work? Too well, if you ask me. Maybe if we take him apart, we can get a mute function. Over my dead body. We're over ours? Come on, we're a team, a troop, a traveling uh, circus! Fine! Fine! But if I start actually falling apart, you stop! That's it! And Tango's the one putting me back together. Got it? Fine, Tin Can. Why are you trying to amplify his speakers anyways? Your disguises alone won't work, but I'll make sure you can all walk right out the front door.
Attention, this is the police. You should have known it was Delilah again. She's nothing but trouble. We should just take her down to the station this time and be done with it. Delilah isn't our priority target, Officer Connors. She'll learn that it's either eat or go hungry, just like your family. Maybe this will get that through her head. Now keep an eye on all exits. If any humans know we're here, they'll try to escape. That'll be your opportunity. Don't waste it. How can you even be sure any human showed up to her... What is it? LARP? I am very sure. Guaranteed, actually. Um... Officers? Is there a problem? Let's not beat around the bush this time. Not only inviting humans after curfew, but letting them in this area? That's against the law. Is that what this is about? Seriously? That's how you're wasting your time? There's no humans here. Don't play coy with me. It said right on your poster you were trying to solicit humans into this game of yours. Well, duh, it's advertised for humans. We're all humans tonight. Nothing like eating normal food and playing cards. Do you want to be humans for a night? I'm sure you have enough time if you've decided to stop by. Sir, are you sure this is the right party? All right. Either way, this party is disturbing the peace. I suggest you break it up. Now. What? But we were just going to play a game. Now, Delilah. Fine. All right, everyone. Party's over. Officer Boxhead said so. Keep your eyes and ears alert. They'll try to leave with everyone else. Oh, this bites. We barely got this place jumping. Uh, this is the worst. Did we even actually do anything? Do we have to leave? Did you hear that? What are you talking about? I just... Maybe there's a place open for a cup of joe. Never mind. And I expect you to straighten out. I'd better not see a human under your roof ever again. Got that? Crystal. Box, we need to get moving if there's nothing here. And that's how you do it, folks. The visual effects are okay, but it's the acting that makes the con. Excuse you? That paint job is the only reason they saw a board game instead of a radio. This stuff had better wash off. Life as the game of life is not a life worth living. Life? Live? Uh... We did it? If by we did it, you mean we're still stuck in this zombie-infested town, and all we have is a few recorded lines about the party? <laughs> we won't make it a single block if we end up lost. It's not that hard to figure out. It's a bit of a walk, but there's no fences like in Manhattan. Just keep heading that way down the street, and you'll find the blue sign that says 78. And from there, it'll take you over the bridge and right out of New York. You know how to leave. Why haven't you? I mean, if you want, you could always come with us. Anything has to be better than living here for you. Three's already a crowd. I'm fine here. This is my home, and I'll stay here whether it kills me or not. Besides, I'm not really the traveling minstrel type. Can't even whistle. You heard them. They're fine. Let's just get out of here before the cops get wise and notice Jim's glitched voice. You sure? I mean... We could set up a protest or raise money with music or Don't just... worry. If you wander your way back, don't forget to pop in. Maybe we can actually have a party and you guys can perform. Tango, let's go already. Can we really come back? Apart from the whole human set up to kill and eat them thing, it's, it's actually a pretty friendly town. Because kill and eat is obviously such a friendly term. No one at the party was going to eat us. Did you even look at the snack table? I don't want to even think of what could have been in some of those appetizers. What do you mean? Tango. You did not. Oh, old machines, that is disgusting. How did you not notice? Did you actually... No, I didn't oh. eat people. They had normal meat, too. Of course I checked. I, can't I wasn't going to eat a you person. actually ate... No, I Ugh. didn't. Stop gagging like that. I can't believe I'm traveling with a cannibal. Charlie, it was turkey. I swear I ate turkey. If you two keep at it, 
Charlie will end up getting us lost in this death trap city. Again! I know where we're going this time. Let's just hope that the next town doesn't try to kill us like every other town. Do you think we should have told them that we were the ones that were supposed to bust their party? We didn't, so that's that. But no one asked. Drop it. Don't you try the cute eyes. Tango, stop it. Charlie, you're asking the wrong person in radio to drop it, because you're going to spill it. What do you want from me? To say that we weren't out-duped by an authority figure? That we weren't Mariettes played like fools? Charlie, it's no one's fault but boxes. What they tried to do was wrong. And we practically brought the police right to Delilah's doorstep. It wasn't just to kill and eat us. Don't you get it? They wanted her to be the fall zombie. They wanted someone to blame. And who better than the one who brought humans into her house? Hey, hey, look! Everyone's okay! Marlo is safe and Delilah isn't in trouble. We're all okay! So we were framed. It happens every Tuesday. We always get in trouble. It just comes with the territory of never being in the same place twice. We've gotten through everything and we'll just keep rolling with the punches. I just... Yeah, I guess we will. What did I say about saving that huggy-huggy feely talk for when we're out of this city, huh? Aw, does that mean you want a hug? I think it means he does. No, that is not what I said. Too late. Here comes the hug train. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hug time over. How about some music for the zombie-infested road? I had the opportunity to talk with Erie Sheramet and Laura Bramblett, the producers of Jim Robbie and the Wanderers. Erie is the creator and executive producer of the show, and Laura is the sound editor. I talked to them about how they made their way to audio fiction, how they became friends, and what inspired them to redo episode one. Take a listen. Erie, Laura, welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Thank you for coming on the show. No problem. Thank you so much for inviting us. Uh, Erie, let's start with you. I want to talk about the the genesis of this project. I read that Jim Robbie and the Wanderers began around 2012. What is your first memory of the idea for this show? So the first memory for the idea of the show, it's it's kind of ridiculous, but uh, I was actually going through a really hard time. A friend of mine had died, and it was Mm -hmm. really difficult for me, and... I remember at some point I found a band called Steam Powered Giraffe, which nowadays is a little contentious, but anyway. But Steam Powered Giraffe kind of reminded me that there's a lot that I can do that doesn't necessarily have to be backstage work, because I was working uh, on getting a degree in costuming and set design. But I was really interested in doing, like, 5,000 other things. Okay. Yeah. And so it the idea dawned on me that I could do something that's, like, all over the place and still really have something cohesive. And that's kind of how Jim Robbie and the Wanderers started. And it began as more of, like, a stage play? It began as a stage show. We were actually planning on having all of the actors on stage kind of talking and giving background to the world and story, but that just didn't really bear any fruit. It was kind of difficult to start with Laura in Alabama and me in Florida and so many people all over the place. How did the two of you meet? Uh, um, we <laughs> Go ahead, Laura. Oh, yeah, because I was actually thinking about how actually very, very strange how our friendship started because we were both in the Steam Power Giraffe sort of fandom that was like just starting to gain traction Mm -hmm. and Erie was pretty well known as being an artist who did live streams while they were drawing and I had been following them for a while and just sort of like jumped into one of their streams one time and they were like 
well, you're here. Why don't you get in Skype with me and call and we'll talk? Aww. So we started talking and Erie hasn't let me go since then. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, she's not allowed to leave. I'm not allowed to leave. Because, Laura, you're in Jasper, Alabama. Yes. Right. I am. And uh, Erie, you're in Gainesville, Florida? I am. I'm in Gainesville. Hot diggity damn. Sweet, yeah. beautiful Gainesville. Sure. <laughs> So, Yuri, what can you tell me about, like, the concept art and the lyrics that you were knocking around at the time that you and Laura first met? One of the big things about Jim Robbie and the Wanders is we kind of wanted to have at least the main characters look like us. Charlie originally was Laura. Okay. And eventually I brought Mako onto the scene because Laura is kind of trapped in Jasper and I wanted to get this started. And especially at the beginning mm-hmm. when Erie was getting really going on the podcast, I was MIA. I had a lot of stuff going on at the time and I didn't think I could be involved mm-hmm. at all. So I kind of backed out and uh, luckily Erie found Mako who is amazing. She's she's a lot of fun. She's brought her own little weird... Uh, deadpan delivery to the character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, she's very stoic. Yeah, but that was kind of, I mean, she's definitely the straight man in the group. Mm-hmm. So the characters are based off of us. We wanted, I wanted to have, you know, not just a post-apocalyptic look, but kind of an eclectic look. Originally, and I, unfortunately, I lost this art, but originally Tango was wearing panniers. When you say, what is a panier? You know, in... The French court, okay, like the Versailles court, how the women had those ginormous hip pads. Uh-huh. Tango used to have those. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the concept art was, it was just kind of trying to put together this like crazy world because mm-hmm. I wanted to include all of the mythology that I loved and basically make it as surreal as possible and zany as possible so that we had that kind of otherworldly feel and were allowed to do a lot of really crazy stories. Sure. I think what I was struck by when I first started listening is because I was I, I was primed for this post-apocalypse kind of bleak science fiction feel. And it turns out to be this really imaginative fantasy America full of zombies and vampires and giant bees <laughs> and little desert crabs and desert leprechauns. Yeah, desert leprechauns. Yeah, Erie wanted it to be like a very, like, hopeful, energetic apocalypse. Mm -hmm. Both of us were totally fed up with the bleak, Walking Dead-esque, everybody is now a murderer because society has broken down. Mm -hmm. And Erie wanted to do something where, like, society just continued. They Mm -hmm. just, everybody sort of picked themselves up and kept going. There's a lot of the splintered society that you can see, but, like, the biggest thing that... I believe, is even if we have an apocalypse or something, we'll we'll keep going. We're a tenacious bunch, and it saddens me to see that a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction really concentrates on the dark side of humanity and how, like, harsh we can get when we're scared. Mm -hmm. But there's also a ton of people out there who, when, when shit hits the fan, they're there to help people. And that's kind of what I wanted to hone in on, is that it's not the end of the world. It's just a change. Sure. Even if it's a crazy change. So the reason I asked the two of you on the show is because I was really impressed with your willingness to return to episode one, season one, and revamp it and remaster it. Like, I don't, I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know <laughs> when I say that the second season of Jim Robbie is way stronger than the first. Oh, yeah. And I've been in that position before, you know? Yeah. Like, that's why we redid season one of Our Fair City. And I think it's a real show of humility and growth mindset to, to be able to look at your work and evaluate it and say, let's, let's do that again. Um, so I was wondering if we could talk about what factored into that decision. Everything. Everything. Yeah. I <laughs> Where mean, do you want to get started, Yuri? Uh, well, I felt so shameful that we had to release episode one like that. But, you know, to tell the truth, when we started this show, and episode one was a nightmare to begin with, but when we started this show, we had no idea what we were doing. Like, absolutely no idea. I know how to play a bunch of instruments and I know how to use my voice. But beyond that, I had no idea. I even had to go get writers because I didn't have the energy to write. And the majority of the writers aren't even script writers. They, they write um, prose. So, mm-hmm. And Jack is a, is a poet, right? Yeah. Jack is Jack a Pepe poet. A, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, Jack Peavy House is a poet. So we we kind of all of us jumped in having absolutely no idea what we were doing. And we had about two to three sound editors before we hit on Laura for the first episode mm-hmm. because it was just so hard to find somebody. And Laura had done sound editing, uh, like piecing together little soundscapes. Sure. But she'd never actually done anything at this scale. And she just kind of jumped on and was willing to do it, which I just wholeheartedly appreciate. The closest thing I'd ever done to what Jim Robbie was, was um, we did like three episodes of like a talk style podcast Mm -hmm. that I kind of edited in that I looked like took out some of the pauses and put an intro in. And I'd done some soundscapes and like one time we read some stories out loud and I edited those together by, you know, just cutting out the pauses. So I knew like the basics of audacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was about, what, like a week and a half before the release date that you wanted to do Yeah, originally. So Erie calls me up. It's very early in the morning. I had just gotten off work because I was working night shifts at the time. And I was just, like, bumming around in the kitchen. I was making breakfast, and I had Erie on the phone while I was scrambling eggs. And they are just pouring their heart out to me about all the problems they have had getting mm-hmm. sound editors that they've gone through two or three. One of them just disappeared into the ether. Oh, yeah. we have no, I, we've not even heard of him since. He just went away. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, inside, it pained me so much because I was so scared of what I was about to get myself into. Uh-huh. But I was like, I'll do the first episode. And after that, I promised that I would do the first five episodes while they looked for another sound editor and then after those five episodes, I'd give her, like, my ultimatum of whether or not I'd stay on the show. Mm-hmm. And it took – first episode, I was like, I'm going to kill myself. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm going to throw myself into the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after the third episode, I was like, this is the most fun I've ever had with anything ever. I'm staying on. You can really hear as you progress from the first episode to the second to finally to the the second season – this really first gradual and then much faster and faster um, development of skill on the part of everyone. I I don't know. I'm I'm just I'm really I'm really pleased and impressed with the stuff that y'all have been doing. Like basically starting from you know budget of zero, self taught. We still have a budget of zero. I'm paying for everything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Definitely. Um, Laura, I want to hear about how you started to teach yourself the fundamentals of audio editing? YouTube. Okay. I immediately, like, jumped onto YouTube and I went on to forums and I, I didn't interact on any of them because I'm not a people person. But I, I read everything I could get my hands on. I watched all the tutorials that I could get my hands on. Season two, one of the reasons that it has advanced hugely is because I got in touch with people like Misha from Ars Paradoxica and, Mm -hmm. you know, you and a bunch of other people who also work in podcasts and been like, I don't know what I'm doing. Somebody tell me what to do. And people being incredibly kind and helping out. That is one of the greatest things about the podcast community is how helpful Mm -hmm. everyone has been. Well, we want want you to be good. We want you to improve. Like everyone is always trying to, you know, work on themselves. I have been in situations where nobody wants anyone else to improve and they're just like no just like flounder and die and no one cares Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you just sort of have to figure things out for yourself but it was really nice to like this group being so welcoming and so helpful and that is one of the reasons why I've been able to learn as much as I have but a lot of it was just trial by fire just like okay, I have got to figure this out because the episode is due in two weeks and I've missed, I think over the course of Jim Robbie, I think I've missed three deadlines and all of them were due to a death in the family. Oh, God. Yeah. Whether my family or somebody else's. Your family, Jack's family. Because I'm just really like, you don't miss deadlines. It's just sort of like in my soul. So... I had to figure it out. I had, and I had two weeks for every episode to figure out whatever new thing I had to learn, whether it was how to do a robot filter or how to combine sound effects to make something brand new. 
And it was just sort of a, well, we're doing this, so I can't back out now. Do you think you'll return to the first season and remaster the whole first season, or are you just keeping it to episode one for right now? So the biggest thing about remastering the first season is that we've lost some of our actors. Right. And it's probably spoilers. There might need to be a spoiler alert here. We no longer have Mako. Um, Charlie leaves. Did she move to Japan or she's moving to yeah. Japan yes. to teach English? Yeah. Mako moved to Japan and it was a very amicable thing. I knew she was going to move to Japan and so we were writing towards that. And Nazi at some point moved to Atlanta and so Alex had to step in and cover it. That was our first gym mm-hmm. was Nazi. That's funny because you, you never say Nazi's name in the credits for the first season. We do in the very last episode that he's in. Oh, Okay. The biggest issue with episode one and the reason why we remastered it is because we didn't even have the opportunity to kind of edit it from the sound that we had mm-hmm. because the first three scenes became corrupted. Oh, no. We no longer had that data. We no longer had those, you know, MP3s, WAVs, whatever. The fun of working with Audacity, it's a little bit unstable when it comes to saving things. Yeah. And sometimes it just goes, no, and... <laughs> Your files go away. <laughs> Laura, you use something different now, though, right? I do. I use PreSonus Studio One. Oh, okay. That's what we used to record on for uh, Our Fair City. Yeah, that's what we record on now. Sweet. Yuri bought the equipment, and it came with this editing studio, and so I had two weeks to learn how to do it before the episode that I was working on came out. Oh, man. <laughs> that was episode five. Episode mm-hmm. five, Brienne, was the first one to be done in a completely new recording a technique in a completely new editing program. Awesome. We do it animation style. Everybody records their lines individually, does a couple of takes, and then I slice everything together. Okay. But yeah, the first half of the first season was everybody cram, and I, I believe if I understand right, this is how you guys did the first season of Our Fair City the first time you did it. Everyone was just crammed in a closet and talking into one microphone. All at once. Yeah, and it's it's easiest for us right now because, unfortunately, we don't really have a good room to record in with a bunch of people or any microphones, for that mm-hmm. matter, besides the one that we have now. And, I mean, right now I'm in a closet that we retrofitted with a bunch of um, those egg crate thingies you put on top of beds. Yeah, yeah. So, Hello from my own closet-based recording studio. Yeah. I have the most high-tech technology of a dead cat that is made out of, like, a a toy dog I got at a thrift store Mm -hmm. that I gutted (laughs) and sewed into a cover for my microphone. Now, Laura, when you say dead cat, I assume you mean, oh, what did we decide to call it? Wasn't it a a microphone tribble? Yes, it is a microphone tribble. That works. Yeah, that works. We're talking about a, um, like, a really fluffy windscreen. Yes, because exactly. I think you called it a dead cat. I called it a Wookiee condom. And I think all of us agreed <laughs> that none of those options were really, like, ideal. I've heard it called a Wookiee condom oh, before goodness. by somebody else. And then they say when it's a small one, it's an Ewok condom. Oh. <laughs> Gross. But, listeners, that is what we're talking about. That we're is talking what we're talking about. about, about a, a device, like a little, a little fabric cover, like it, a fake fur cover that slips over uh, a microphone to reduce, you know, wind noise. Mine is... Pastel pink, and if you look really, really closely, you can see where the tail was. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So I wanted to get to the, to the content of Jim Robbie and the Wanderers, and I was wondering if you could tell me, what does it mean, if anything, that we never hear Jim Robbie and the Wanderers actually play music? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, okay, so in the first season, we really, like, we're working on music now. Mm-hmm. Uh, to kind of have some like instruments and songs that we want to release on Patreon for people so that they can actually hear what the Wanderers play. If you dig around, you can find some clips of songs. Yeah, if you do dig around, there's a couple clips of songs on my Tumblr okay. or on okay. the Jim Robbie and the Wanderers Tumblr. They're just kind of deep and hidden. Well, one of them is a video of you guys practicing a song that's yeah, recent. Yeah, we do have a, that one recent Snapchat video. But... 
the big thing was that we didn't have any songs written, and we realized very quickly that with the production schedule that we were forcing ourselves to keep, we had absolutely no ability to work on music and be able to put it in the show. There was no way to do like a one song per episode, Josie and the Pussycats kind of adventure. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, because that would require so much more work. And, you know, at the time I was working part time. We are no Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> I couldn't get the actors to come in as often as I would like them to, getting people to come in on, you know, Saturdays to record was a nightmare in itself. So it became kind of a running gag, and we decided we're going to just keep it because Mm -hmm. it's just funny to us as behind the scenes that they never play their music. It's almost a running joke that, like, Tango will be like, how about a song? And then it cuts out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because it's not like they don't play in the text of the show. It's just we, the audience, never get to actually hear them play. And the other big thing was that we kind of wanted to save the music for the stage shows, which, unfortunately, I'm not really sure if they're going to happen, if that's like a possibility, because we're all kind of going our own ways and recording uh, separately is easier than trying to meet up on different parts of the continent to practice. Mm -hmm. But we are working on music and maybe, you know, maybe one day we will be able to have a stage show. But the music was supposed to be for the stage show. So Tango and Charlie and everybody would be in character and you would kind of get to feel like you were actually in the show. Gotcha. Versus listening to these like zany stories that they're dealing with. Yeah, and the podcast was originally going to be like supplemental to the band, and then I the see. band just got like least, less and less likely to happen. What kind of band are they? What kind of music do they play? So, my big thing, and I'm just a sucker for this, but I love Americana. Mm-hmm. And when I say Americana, I, I mean from, like, bluegrass to Appalachian music to Motown and rockabilly stuff, um, jazz and blues. And so they're very heavily entrenched in kind of the, the American music culture. But then we're also kind of pulling Mm -hmm. in music from other parts of the world that are related to the characters. So we have one song that's like klezmer and we have one song that's more folk. We have a rockabilly song that we're working on. You know, so we're kind of all over the place. It is very much like a novelty band where it's not one specific direction that we're going. And there is, what, like about two albums worth of songs written? Uh (laughs) And maybe one or a half album worth that's actually like the music is written as well. We've got a ton of lyrics yeah. laying around. And I'm trying to get people to write more lyrics. So who of you chooses the music for the podcast? In the second season, you've really started to choose a lot more uh, recordings from like the 1920s and 30s to accompany the show. Yeah, we've sort of phased that out recently. We have Tom, Tom Rory Parsons yes. is now he's from uh, Small Town Horror, and he has jumped on and been composing original music for us. Yeah, I've been hearing that; it's good. But for a while, we were using uh, these public domain songs, but it's it's a little difficult because public domain rules and laws vary from country to country, so mm. something that's public domain America might not be public domain somewhere else. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think we've actually had one of our episodes taken off of YouTube due to copyright infringement. Interesting. Yeah, so that, that needs to be fixed. Despite the fact that the song is from, like, 1800. Yeah. But whatever. <laughs> so we kind of realized after the first season that we do need music. Mm-hmm. And... You know how we had a huge problem with the sound editors? We had the same problem with composers. We were hemorrhaging technical Mm -hmm. people. Oh, no. (laughs) Like, it was hard. So we lost two composers within the span of season one. And um, most of, you know, we were mostly working in the background and not really working on actual music for the show. But we realized at some point that we need music in the show. And by the se- the second season, we were like, okay, we're doing this. But we couldn't get an actual composer. We have, like, three snippets of songs that a composer left us. Um, <laughs> and then we have the theme music. And there was only so many times that you could use the vaguely Arabian chase music before everyone started to get tired of it. Yeah. Sure. So we decided to kind of supplement the show with public domain songs, which is actually really hard. There's not a lot of, like, 
very Americana public domain songs. I'm glad we found a lot of them, but a lot of them, the quality is not that great. Or um, the recordings have like really heavy crackling and stuff. Because they're on like wax cylinders. Mm -hmm. Or they're just not actually public domain. So one of the big things that I love doing about the show is that the everybody who is in the show gets to participate in creating the world. So everybody who has a character, that's their character. They get to dictate what happens to that character. We, yeah. we work with them to make the main plot, but we have, you know, they dictate what happens to the character. And the writers, it's the same. You know, uh, we work a basic plot for the season, and then I just kind of throw it to the writers, and there's a showrunner every season that kind of ferries them along and I just kind of check up on them every once in a while. So this leads me into uh, a question that I had, had written down earlier. Um, mm-hmm. But that gets a, that brings us into some kind of spoiler territory. Ooh. So uh, spoilers. everyone say spoiler alert on three. One, two, three. Spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. <laughs> so so the character of Nicoletta transitions to Nico. Um, to what extent was that writing decision influenced by Jake Song, the actor who plays that character? So the character of Nicoletta, Nicoletta, and this is like, I'm okay talking about this because it's never going to happen. Um, <laughs> this is a major change. Nicoletta was originally written to eventually become Tango's girlfriend. Uh-huh. And she was originally a trans woman. Okay. But... Small town Florida being what it is, it was really hard to find people who were actors or willing to put a lot of time into this who were trans, mm-hmm. whether trans women or trans men. And I knew Jake's song from Swing because I, I go swing dancing. Okay. And he he was willing to do it. And I was like, okay, well then here's all the information we have on the character. Make it your own. And he basically said, you know, I don't feel comfortable playing a trans woman because that's pretty much what I handed him. And so we we pushed it to allow Jake to play a trans man. And I think that's like a really great idea. I, I'm really happy with what we did because it really allows Jake to work with the writers to get Nico's reactions and Nico's experience to be, you know, the closest to what it should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he he evolved quite a bit over uh, the time of the show. Yeah, and and you can see hints of it in, in the first season if you, like, kind of, like, look into the subtext. There's, like, Tango, like, really latching on to, like, wanting to impress Nico in the Global episode. Uh, there's little little hints of that that are left in what is now season one, but yeah, we very quickly changed directions on what we were going to do with Nico, mm-hmm. and I think for the better. Yeah. I think what ended up happening was mu- a much more satisfying storyline for Nico and for everybody else involved. I think at some point I sat down and I looked at the plot line that I had like written out, and I was like, okay, now that the writers have torn off Jim Robbie's head, mm-hmm. this is not feasible any longer. Yeah, it, we could we could not conceivably have Tango forgive Nico that fast, right? Yeah, for having murdered <laughs> Tango's best friend. Yeah. I'm I'm glad we didn't go the direction that we were planning to go. But, you know, with this show, no matter what direction we're planning to go in, it gets really weird when I hand it off to the writers and they mm-hmm. just run off into the distance. So bringing it back to the show and maybe going in a little heavier direction, if that's Ooh, okay. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, online, you've both been really forthright and honest about, like, your mental health struggles. And I, I think that Jim Robbie and the Wanderers surfaces a lot of those conversations in fascinating ways. Erie, could you, could you tell me how you think Tango's illness manifests itself in the show? The biggest thing about Tango is that she's kind of at 110% all the time. And it's funny because... You know, I'm medicated right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was unmedicated, I was rapid cycling, like, multiple times a day. I was bad. What is rapid cycling? Um, that's when you go from kind of uh, depressive to manic. And oh, okay. It's usually defined by changing four times a year. So, yeah. I wanted 
to be able to kind of portray some of that. Tango doesn't know what's wrong with her. She doesn't have any medication. This isn't a kind of world where someone sits you down and really is able to help you with things like that. And she's a great person. But I just, I I was also really tired of the portrayal of people with bipolar disorder in the media. That was something that just really hurt me every time I saw it. I Mm -hmm. remember I tried to watch Filth, which... What is that? Horrible decision. It's a movie with... What's his name? Um, The guy who plays Dr. Xavier in the new X-Men films. And he was, I guess, playing a cop or something. I didn't even watch the the film all the way to completion because uh, he was supposed to have bipolar disorder and he would go on these violent, like benders. And I I know that sometimes bipolar disorder can go that direction. I I do. But at the same time, you know, the majority of the people are just sad. And I mean, when you're when you're sad or depressed, you eat chocolate cake or like sleep in bed for hours on end and don't do anything. And when you're manic, um, for me, that was the scarier part because I would be like laughing for 15 minutes straight. And I wasn't sure what it was that made me laugh. But you know, most of the people that I've met who have bipolar disorder, it's just like, yeah, we're just really, really emotional. Mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty much it. It's There's a huge stigma on the mental illness, and it's really frustrating. And I kind of wanted to show, you know, Tango is amazing. She is a better person than I am. She is willing to, you know, do what needs to be done to really help people. Uh, even when she gets in people's business, mm-hmm. but <laughs> which she does often. <laughs> but, you know, like I kind of wanted to show that the bipolar disorder, it's not someone going crazy and being violent or being mean or evil. It's someone who can't really stabilize their emotions. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where Tango is. She's she pushes towards being excited all the time yeah. because depression is scary. And especially in uh, season one, episode six and seven, after she loses Jim Robbie, like mm-hmm. she's gone. Right. She doesn't know how to handle this. This is the person that kept her kind of mentally stable and he's gone. So I, I guess that's kind of what I was wanting to portray, just the normality of having bipolar disorder so spoiler alert number two (laughs) so tango is a werebear yes does does her lycanthropy represent anything to you or um or santhropy or santhropy what would be the bear version (laughs) or santhropy you know originally i just love bears Uh uh-huh I, too, am a fan of bears. Yeah, I just really love <laughs> bears. And I thought it would be great to be a werebear. Um, but, you know, in the end, I kind of realized, like, it is very much part of her character in the sense that, like, there is the huge myth of werewolves when it comes to lunacy. And that is something that while no longer that people no longer talk about it outside of, like, horror films or schlock films or whatever... It is something that is still kind of left in people's minds that people who, I guess, are lunatics or crazy are monsters Mm -hmm. and that they turn into monsters. And, I mean, Tango is a bear when she gets mad, sure, but it benefits her. I mean, I wish I could throw a trailer off a cliff. That would be great. (laughs) But... Yeah, it, it's just, it's part of her, and she's not less for being a werebear. It's kind of fitting that she is a an animal that was once greatly feared and is now understood to be, like, not nearly as dangerous as previously thought. Interesting. <laughs> That's not how I think of bears. And Michelle wouldn't go toe-to-toe with one. So, bring us home. Th- throughout this process, and as you continue to work on Jim Robbie and the Wanderers, what have you discovered are your your strengths during during the production and what where do you think you want to grow as you as you keep working 
Oh, boy. Um, I really love the fact that I allow so many people to take part in this. It's not just my show, although it is my show. It's not just my show because the writers get to have input and the actors get to have input. And it's a world built by a bunch of people instead of just me specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives it a much richer like environment and storyline that we can go into. There's characters that the writers really like. There's characters that the writers wanted to come back. That's actually why Kinghorn is back, Mm -hmm. because Jack requested that he come back. I I think it gives a good kind of structure to the second season, too. Yeah. So I think that's one of our strongest points. I think for growth, it's mostly just that we're Really new at this. A bunch of babies. And when it comes to the technical aspect of it, while we are getting immensely better, we still have miles and miles to go to match up with a lot of the shows that we listen to. Yeah, we, we're constantly looking at other people and going, oh, they're so much better than us, and then actually talking to them and going, oh, they record the exact same way as us and nobody knows what they're doing. That's comforting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way to get better, right? Mm-hmm. Is to Is to listen to stuff you like and then steal rapaciously from it. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm a I'm a dirty rotten stealer. <laughs> I am always like learning more stuff about how to actually do what I'm supposed to be doing since it's kind of a job now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've gone from knowing next to nothing to actually knowing a couple of things, which is nice. Well, I look forward to seeing you continue to grow and improve. Like you're you're doing good work. Thank you so much. Thank you. And yeah, it's really comforting to know that even though we're just starting out and just getting like momentum and doing so much learning so quickly that we're not looked down upon for being less experienced. Yeah. Just when other people who do the same kind of work we do, who we conceive as being so much more experienced and more able than us, help us out or do voice acting for us. We've been really lucky. We've got some great guests in season two. It's been amazing. Yeah. Every episode has had like some extra guests and it's like, oh my God, all these people want a voice for us. What's going on? We put up a call for shrimp and everybody in the (laughs) podcasting community was, please, please let me play a shrimp. Yeah, that was was fun. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway that I've had from doing this show, um, besides the amazing community that we're not part of, Uh, I've seen a lot of people who have become our fans, like even small-time fans, say that it's really helped them come to terms with things and really, like, feel better about themselves. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of the goal to begin with, is to kind of really provide not only a lot of representation, but just a lot of positive energy. Sure. I think think it's really important to make visible the lives of as many different people as possible through art. Yeah. That's That was the goal. That, that's what we are all about. Shove as many people as we can in here. Awesome. Well, thank you to you both for, for coming on the on the show today. This was great. Thank you so much, David. Yeah, we were we were delighted and confused yes. to be <laughs> to be invited. And I'm so excited for Jack to hear this when it comes out. We haven't out. told Jack that we're on the show. Hi, Jack. Hi, Jack. <laughs> He's like the only one that doesn't know, and it's mostly because we like to tease him, and he has amazing reactions to things. Aww. So. Okay, but for real, though, if Jack makes some kind of wackadoo reaction face, I gotta know about it. And if such a thing exists, it's going up on Twitter. We're at Radio Drama. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on the show, Irene Laura. That was fabulous. So I realized kind of late that this was going to be our Christmas time episode, and that's fine because I feel like spending time with Erie and Laura is wonderful and warm and inclusive and good, but I did have something else to say in the spirit of the holiday season. I'd like to read you some remarks originally delivered by Sarah Evans Barker, a judge in the state of Indiana, on the occasion of the naturalization ceremony for 68 freshly minted American citizens shortly after the election this year. This is something I saw excerpted in The New Yorker a few days ago, and I thought it deserved to be read aloud. I recognize that many of you listening are not American citizens, but I think there's something here for everyone. I have abridged Judge Barker's remarks as follows. For more than 30 years, whenever I have had the privilege of presiding over a naturalization ceremony such as this, I have typically delivered upbeat, hopeful remarks to the new citizens that focused on the array of wonderful opportunities that await them, now that they had become full-fledged Americans. Today, 
I want to talk about your responsibilities as new citizens. In light of the turbulent events in recent weeks which played out as part of the political campaigns and were characterized by some really ugly, divisive, and demeaning words and hate-filled, violence-tinged name-calling, your responsibilities as new citizens have become more important than ever. You will now be called upon to do your parts to help build and maintain our country's best values and highest principles and historic traditions. In a family, and you are now becoming part of the American family, we give each other permission to conduct honest conversations with one another. So I will be candid with you. This is a challenging and sobering time in the life of our country. In this time of political change, as the peaceful transfer of power is underway, there is a feeling of unsteadiness and uncertainty among us about the future. The recently concluded campaigns laid bare a variety of disagreements across our nation, to use President Obama's phrase. The harsh words that have been spoken over the past few months were indefensible and unkind, testing the strength of the ties that hold us together as a country. I imagine that many of you in particular felt the sting of these attacks and heard them in personal terms. The qualities long associated with our country in defining the ways we strive to treat one another with fairness, tolerance, compassion, equality, civility, and freedom are likely the very things that caused you to come here to live your lives and raise your families and pursue your vocations and to share your best gifts. Lately, these qualities seem to be in short supply. I can't defend or excuse such attacks. I, too, felt their sting and regretted the fear that they engendered. But today, as we gather on this special day, I hope that maybe I can restore your hope and calm your fears and renew your sense of confidence. Remember that we Americans are a resilient people, and this includes you now, too. Our institutions of government are strong, and our society is much bigger and greater than any small group of people who have chosen to test our stamina. Each of us has to resolve to join the effort, doing our part to speak up as policy is being formulated and ideas are being aired. Help our elected leaders figure out workable, humane, fair, and just solutions. Help our policymakers shape a fair and just narrative that works for all our people. I welcome you today to your new life as citizens of the United States, and remind you in the clearest words I know to say to you, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. Now, it is up to you to assume the important responsibilities of citizenship, which means to join in the struggle to make this country as good and kind and just and welcoming as you imagined and hoped and perhaps prayed that it would be when you first embarked on your journey to become a citizen. I say again, you are welcome here. Don't ever forget that. And if anyone ever challenges you on that, you tell them Judge Barker said so on the day you became a citizen. Be good to each other. Be decent. Merry Christmas, joyous Kwanzaa, happy Hanukkah, happy winter solstice, and happy New Year. All right, open up your presents, you beautiful monsters. I got you some credits. The music you hear right now is Danger Did You Do by DJ Stranger Danger. You can find more of his music on SoundCloud. Our line producers are Matthew Boudreaux and Eli McElveen. You can hear Eli playing a crab in episode 21 of Jim Robbie, Wandering Hermit. He is great, obviously. Matthew has not, to the best of my knowledge, played a crustacean in this or any other podcast, but he never ceases to surprise me, so anything's possible. Our researchers are Monique Boudreaux and Heather Cohen, who also have a traveling band that I never get to hear, but is apparently super great. They're called the Decibels, and they keep getting kicked out of arenas for rocking too hard. Our executive producer is Fred Greenhalge, who definitely isn't Santa Claus, but may have access to flying reindeer. I think he and his wife breed them out back. I'm your host, David Reinstrom, and this has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers welcome. I'll see you all next year.